welcome to another episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Jo Ritty, and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the land where this conversation takes place. Land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. Today I'm chatting to Adrian Lee and Danny Natoli from La Madonna at Next Hotel. I'm a big fan of La Madonna. I love the glorious golden chandelier hanging in the spiral stairwell. I love the dining room that manages to feel cosy and enveloping despite its size. And I love the story behind the name. When Danny Natoli first walked into the space while it was being built, he was so impressed by the scale of the room and the possibilities of it that he let out a La Madonna and the name stuck. I spoke to Danny and Adrian for broadsheet when the restaurant opened and I'd already had a chef chat to Adrian a few years ago when he was still at Saigon Sally in Tokyo Tina. I've always loved running into him and catching up. Danny and Adrian are friends as well as colleagues. They put up incredible food together, bouncing ideas off each other and working together to create dishes and create the kind of hospitality they love, making people feel welcome and a part of things. I felt as though they were my friends when we did the broadsheet chat and catching up with them again now was an absolute treat. Plus their banter is top notch. I thought I was just going in for a chat, but I got a whole performance art piece and a delicious drink because Danny made Tangelo martinis and served them in the skins. We talked authenticity and seasonality in the European sense, and we talked about their Sunday La Familia lunches of three courses, beautiful Italian-inspired food with bottomless carafes of wine. Now, I've included all the cocktail-making shenanigans at the start, which I think really set the scene. I don't know, maybe they won't work if you weren't there. Do feel free to skip ahead about four minutes to the actual chat, but you'll really miss out on some excellent Adrian and Danny repartee if you do that. Let's go. Hi, Adrian. How are you? Good. Good. Nice to see you. Where were you before? Where was I before? Just here. Adrian told me I wasn't invited. Oh, do you want to be? Hello. Is that actually true? Is that actually true? No, you can. This is good. Two for the price of one. That's the best late. Awesome. What's that? Sounds like Kevin's going to make them for the journey. Really? Yeah. Awesome. What do you, you think? Get a flask. Yeah. <laughs> flask for the podcast journey. Mm-hmm. Tangerine martini. That sounds amazing. Maybe I'll make it. Oh God. With Jennifer, we've got you asking about Jennifer. Thank you. Where do you want to be? I want to be in Italy. Oh. <laughs> okay, well that's, that's beyond my... Yeah, d- yeah. Oh, serve it in the tangelo shell. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. It's very tropical, not like cold Melbourne. Yeah. I love it. Yes. This is how they do it. Um. <laughs> A new cocktail. A very fun cocktail with the new seasonal tangelos that's just come into season. They're from a little lovely citrus farm in Wandon called Greenness. Main ingredient of Sartreuse. 
Yes. Delicious. That's not olive oil? No, it's not. Chartreuse. Um, Tangelos are so great. They've got such a great flavour. So juicy. In fact, that's how they're described. <laughs> juicy at the expense of flesh. That's how they're described. <laughs> so, you're from New Zealand, from New Zealand, yeah? It's not the same thing. I think you need a Jennifer. I did, but that's you need a gin to. Isn't Jennifer gin that one? All the bins, all the bins. You're gonna pour the drink like this. Yeah, it's probably. At the table, Kev, you're gonna put a hole in it and it'll drip down like a Vietnamese coffee. That ties in all of it together. It'll leave Vietnam. No garnish, Vietnamese. It's in the garnish. Pepper, maybe? Oh. I'll get some water too. I feel um, honoured to be part of this. It's still a sparkling. <laughs> <laughs> we do hospitality here. That's right, it's all encompassing. I still think you should be like poke the hole through and let it drip. Right. And by the time. I see what you're saying, yeah. Mm. Poke a hole through it, let it drip, and by the time it filters then it gathers, all the, it, the, like then it gathers yeah. the pith, yeah. and then it has that infusion. This is a real drink. Alright, well, I'm glad we're conceptualizing. Yeah. So, do I pour something more alcoholic on top, light it on fire, and then stab it in? No, that's yes. not. Oh, oh yes. 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 That's showy. That's what? nice and uh, <laughs> very. Put a lighter? Will I die? <laughs> In a good way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Kevin's not into the fire idea. No, Kevin's sure if you want, but I'm just okay. gonna go for it. Okay. I'm gonna attempt to drip. You are? Mm-hmm. Okay. Wow. It's good. Refreshing, yeah. What about alcohol in that as well, but it's still refreshing. It doesn't taste like alcohol. It doesn't mm. taste alcoholic. Dangerous. Jennifer, there was yeah, three shots of gin, two shots of Jennifer, three shots of Jennifer. This is nice. No, no, no. Anyway. No. So I was looking back on the last time I had a conversation with Chef with Adrian. It must have been 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. It's a while ago. Been, in Saigon, it's still open. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you've been at that stage. You've been a chef for six years. And now you've been a chef for ages. Mm -hmm. So I think it's good to catch up with because you've come a long way. And I was also interested to read because I don't think I really paid that much attention to it when you said it then because you were saying you were cooking Windsor Asian food. Mm -hmm. um, but that your real love was Italian food and that your Italian food was much better than your um, Asian food. And I thought that was really interesting because a lot of the times in broadsheet and different, you know, food places, they describe you as the Hong Kong street guy. Yeah, I think it's just because people just laugh at it. was like a Chinese chef who could cook Italian food. Yeah. But people forget that the pasta came from China. True. Mm -hmm. Not going to react? <laughs> <laughs> true. True. <laughs> Maybe true. Who knows? What if the Chinesians went there and said, "Hey, this is you're, you're doing your noodles all wrong. Let's let's uh, collaborate a little bit." Yeah. It's, it's very undisclosed. Yes, it's not very well documented. Mm -hmm. This so, Marco Polo guy. So my question is: Is this your spiritual home now, or? I think Venus would be always always Venus. our spiritual home. Yeah. But this is just mm -hmm. uh, probably. 
uh, new challenge for us, like taking a small restaurant in Armadale and then timesing it by eight and creating something in the city that we both always want to work in the city and just to see if we can cut our knuckles on the, in the big smoke. Yeah. But explore completely unique cuisine, like stuff where it's no one's saying, Oh, well, what, you can't like it. Oh, I've got an Italian dude. I don't even want to talk about him, but like someone who is so traditionalist that just the idea of putting yuzu with a pasta or putting uh, um, miso in a salad dressing in an Italian restaurant would be, would just be like, they couldn't, their blinkers are on so much to the traditions of Italian cuisine. Whereas we don't, <clears throat> don't have that. Like we'll, we'll have it as a conversation where we'll be like, you out of your mind. We're not putting a fermented shrimp with a, with a pasta dish. What's the point? Um, but then you get... That's probably why we've got a more unique uh, set of customers here as well that come in and say, oh, this tastes like the, the Chinese lobster uh, noodles. Yeah, not but like a... But then it's, the, it's with al dente spaghetti and uh, beautiful olive oil and you know a little bit of lemon zest rather than... MSG. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know, like, it's it's a chance to where you haven't had, like, it's like a development in culture of food, I think, for, is that what, that's what I'm seeing. And a if, higher elevation of a viewpoint of a cuisine. Like, if you take a look at it, like, Japanese cuisine and Italian cuisine are both relatively simple and they have the highest respect for the raw ingredient. And then mm. why not? be able to link them together just like how Vietnamese cuisine focuses a lot on acidity and um, raw ingredients and Mexican cuisine also does the same mm. so both cuisines it's, yeah. have a synergy to them at that high level that's right and I don't even know if this comes into this conversation but I've been having conversations with people lately about what does it mean to what does authenticity mean because I spoke to Rasheen Call about her book Chinese-ish mm-hmm. and they talk a lot about you know with making and, and you know and maybe also um, at, like daughter-in-law and so on they talk about inauthentic inauthentic food mm-hmm. is there a need to say that if you are at that level and you are really good at what you do and you've got ideas from one cuisine and you're using products that match that flavour profile or maybe even textures or things that work together do you have to clarify and saying say I'm not being authentic but this is my food. I don't think you do these days in Melbourne. No. Like, it's just an inaugural part of the cuisine that everyone is acceptance of other people's cultures and the fact that you can have one cuisine that bleeds into another and it's more beneficial. Like, in the traditionalist form, like, my mum would be like, no, this must be done a certain way, but then she's had a dish that I've created with more modern interpretations of it and she's like what is this and I'm like it's just your fermented tofu that you normally eat with rice but I just made the mayonnaise with it and yeah. then she was just like this is delicious I was like mm. yeah yeah and, and not having the same food culture that places like China and and uh, Italy have where 
the focus is, you know, even around festivals or something where there's like a mid-autumn festival where everyone will just sit down and have the, the hairy crabs or something and that's, you know, got to do with the seasons, got to do with the moon, got to do with... But then that's what they eat in that season. The same thing happens in Italy with, the, you know, the, sag, the different sagras and uh, markets where they'll have the truffle festivals, the porcini festivals. And up north they'll have just, a, you know, radicchio for, for a whole season where everything is radicchio. Yeah. But in, like, is it because that Melbourne's a big city that you don't have that dynamic focus on season or is it because Australian food culture hasn't developed that way? Like that's well, the, There's not enough of one demographic to create that. Oh, and then there's not a certain product that's just produced and celebrated in those seasons. I think that's what like, it has a lot to do with. Like If we produce uh, radicchio, we're going to have... Radicchio and Fontina with risotto. We're going to have Radicchio and Fontina in yeah, Tortellini. Farming gonna, communities yeah. Something that's grown throughout them. Yeah. And then they just sell that. And then even in the supermarkets, they'll just focus on that in their, you know, seasonality products in the supermarkets. If it's a, like a, a, a supermarket there, they'll just be Radicchio and something Tortellini. But, mm. <clears throat> which we don't see that here. There's an aisle for every country. There's an aisle for everything. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about that because I do know, and certainly in France as well, you know, asparagus is in season, um, then they really celebrate. celebrate it and they have a way of eating asparagus, you know, you tip your plate up and make a vinaigrette and dip mm. it in and all that kind of thing. And then they don't eat it in other seasons. Is that because I lived in a rural part of, um, or a smaller <coughs> village part of France? Do you think in big cities around the world it's the same as Melbourne or is it, do you, across Europe are they like that, that they are super seasonal? In, in Europe, I'd yeah. say much more so. Yeah, yeah. Because it's, it's ideally, your, your food revolves around the seasons. Like that's, that's right. That's the, <clears throat> that's the way it's supposed to be. Like, like the biodynamics of it, the, What's the cost body, of it, yeah. the, why you wait for a certain time of the year to eat asparagus. Like, you're mm. not going to have a, a poached egg and asparagus salad in right now in Melbourne. Coming like soon we will, but right now it doesn't make any sense. It's coming mm. from... it's. But you see the focus and the demand come from supermarkets where there's a asparagus farmer in Kuirup, the, like what are they, the Corsini family, I think, who have like 700, like a huge, huge uh, focus on just asparagus. But then this time of the year, they import asparagus from Mexico. Mm. And, you know, their demands for, from it's probably more for the supermarket's fault, which then goes on to the consumer, but... You know, the supermarkets bought an elastic band and a bit of uh, a label that has to wrap around this and can't be longer than 12 centimetres or something. So if if they weigh more, they're not getting paid for it. But if they weigh less, they're like, oh, we won't take it. So where the chefs are a problem with that as well for, you know, having demands for perfectly shaped veggie, but there's another, you know, big push to have that ugly delicious food and mm. uh, you know not not worrying about if a banana curves the other way or, or you need to trim off the mm. ends of a piece of lamb mm. everything goes in the plate because everything costs lots of money these days mm. well that's right mm-hmm. I was even listening to Michael Harden the other day on Triple R and he was talking about how 3D printing is now being brought into using um, waste food products to like mm-hmm. make don't tell this crackers <laughs> and things <laughs> Well, as well, imagine if we were like chefs growing up as well, like what you put on the plate, you're always the weighing the wastage 
always had to be a cost involved as well. Like, what was the wastage and cost that into the dish? Good. But why would you, yeah, as well, like, we, there was a point as well when we were both cooking where I would say, well, all right, well, that's got to look different on the plate. Mm. Like, well, why? Why are you, why are you cutting up uh, a beautiful uh, whatever piece of fish it was? Why are you cutting up a piece of kingfish and squaring it off? And, like, if you're not chopping those other little bits up mm. and making a cruder or you're not uh, uh, using that for something else, why are you chopping it off the plate then? Just mm. to make it look cute and squared out and... Clean. Yeah. Like, so you've moved away from that? Yeah, definitely, big time. Like, Did you, were you ever in it? For sure. Yeah. Like, just being taught that way and yeah. this is how you cut a duck breast, this is how you cut a piece of lamb rump. The bits on the end are overcooked or it looks funny. It doesn't display how nicely you've cooked the inside of a steak. Mm. Like, that doesn't really matter anymore. Like, what matters is what goes on the plate and what's it with at the mm. time. Yeah. If you want consumers to understand maybe what we're starting to understand. Like if you're, yeah, but the beauty of the ingredient is is all there. Like we, we would that bit would usually probably be cut up and chopped up into a staff meal or we eat it. But why not have it on the plate mm. if it's they've paid for it? Yeah. So then, do, is it your job to or your role to educate consumers, or can you just present that and then hope that eventually people will be okay with that? Yeah, I think you only just stuff it down people's faces that this is how food should look these days. But um, as well as you present it and the flavors there and cooking techniques there and like it's a carefully comprised dish, then people will be like, oh, amazing. Mm. It's an ongoing conversation because uh, you want to you want to talk about the. Like the culture of, I think creating the culture around seasons is still forgotten in a lot of in a lot of cases. Like even if we have, even if we have like a meeting like we had today, where you're like, oh, why does the menu change so often? Well, because the seasons change so often, or, mm-hmm. and what what do and the weather change? changes and the weather changes, or cost of things change if there's floods and you're not reactive to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could be paying eight dollars for a corn one week your, for your, a box, and the next week's hundred forty dollars. Yeah, your cabbage side that you're paying two bucks for is now nine dollars seventy. <laughs> And you've still got it on the menu for fourteen dollars. Yeah. Like if if you're not quickly reactive to those things, <clears throat> you're you're left more out of pocket. <laughs> and are you able to do that in a in a hotel setting? We're definitely trying. Yeah. Which is, uh, we've learnt a lot about we've learned cooking with the seasons from us being at Rena's, but then. I guess it's more that for everyone else to catch up to where we are and how quickly we can react. Everyone is like, oh, why? Why are you doing so many menu changes? It's like, because in the time that we choose to do it, we're saving you at least 400 bucks a week. Yeah. And was that, I mean, we've talked about this previously, but, you know, you this whole um, chefs, restaurant chefs coming into hotels, there was a wave of that. Just before COVID? Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Just before COVID. Um, and the adjustments that, that that is necessary because it is a different way of maybe thinking, is it? Or can you just be you and be restaurant chefs? The corporate environment that the hotels use as their backbone is probably more structured 
in terms of the way they want to see a flow of how the business is run. But what's beneficial for them is restaurant chefs are more reactive and the chain of command is a lot shorter for things to happen. So what we can do in a hotel is probably bring it forward. Mm. And instead of having that stagnant feel that hotels do have sometimes, we can shorten that period and give a bit more um, vibe to the place. And Daddy, you're still at Rainers quite a lot, is it? And Adrian, you're mainly here? Yeah. I'm supposed to be there half an hour ago. Oh, thank you for making cocktails (laughs) and being here. (laughs) Um, So how do do you feel divided because they're quite different places or are you able to... Insanely. But the contrast is now even more important maybe to reflect on or understanding the roles that little restaurants like that play in in community or play in helping to understand the strategies that we took there to bigger business or then also understanding how bigger business structures work and can they, you know, can can it go vice versa? Or but as well, like the personality that the people, the reason we got involved in this place was because they liked the, the personality of there. So they want to, you know, if you could have a cookie cutter experience from Rainers and bring that here, it was what they wanted. Mm-hmm. But how do you do that mm-hmm. when there's... The soul of the restaurant is still the same. The ideals that we have once we, from when we opened it are the same. But then we just have to... Um, adjust to the environment of a big corporate business and the fact that the people who are coming through here is so transient there's never there is a core clientele that we get Mm. but then everyone else just comes back and forth and they experience the hotel in a different way and some people are looking for the classic hotel experience but they come here and they get quite a big surprise whereas like the dish i had last time when I was here in summer, is no longer on the menu. Like, I could always get this dish at the Sofitel. It's like, yeah, we don't do things like that here. Yeah. And so you're not having to do BLTs to room service? Or no. no. Yeah. Worse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that's... But also understanding that the difference between a, a diner in Melbourne, like maybe we're pretty clued in with what we like or what we think a a restaurant diner would like in Melbourne or like a foodie type Mm. diner would like. But then if you've got a foodie diner is completely different to an in-room diner. Like someone who's in between meetings, someone who's flying in, flying out for 45 minutes sometimes, like they've got an hour for a meal. They can't even leave their room and they just feel like a, a, a fish burger. Mm-hmm. Like, it should be a good fish burger, but mm. that's what they feel like. We don't have to say, all right, you have some il parfait on, uh, on crostini, and, uh, like, that's not what they feel like. Yeah. <laughs> they feel stuffed into a tomato. We do a fish burger. Yeah. <laughs> we At, when we so, first opened, we were like, no, this is not what people want. Yeah. People want this because they wanted that because they didn't have any other option. But then as we went on a year in, we are like... People just want fish and chips and burgers in their rooms and soups. And it was humbling to understand that that... Because maybe it's that comfort thing, isn't it? Because they're away from home, as you say. um, Yeah, they're not staying here for a long period of time necessarily and wanting to have that whole gourmet Mm -hmm. experience. They just want comfort and Mm -hmm. something... Something easy. Warm and easy in their stomach. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Fries. Fries. 
fries. <laughs> they are great, our fries. Yeah. Yes. Great. <laughs> yeah. It's Danny's yeah. weakness. Yeah. <laughs> and how's all the pickling and hanging of meats and things going? Good. Yeah. Um, cultivating some great white mold on a old deer leg. Yeah. <laughs> it looks great in the fridges. Yeah. Um, but as budgets changed even here as well, like when you know you open up a hotel in the middle of uh, a world crisis, and you're like, oh well, we're going to expand uh, artwork, and there'll be this, and there'll be that. If the if all of a sudden that disappears, then artwork became colourful pickle jars, and yes. that that became a you know, a usable uh, part of you know, part of the decoration that people are looking at. People are it, it's it's a yeah, curiosity point. People come in and they're like, "Can we try those?" It's like, "Yeah, sure." Go to the table, grab a few jars. Like, what do you want to try? It's like that one, that one, that one. Like, go to the table and just try it. That's right. definitely a, a secret uh, menu item. All of the jars are a secret menu item. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not so secret anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Right, and and I know that I mean Adrian came from an IT background, and but clearly had so much creativity, and it seems like you were made to be a chef. You just love it so much. But did you always know you wanted to be a chef? Uh, starting in hospitality, probably not. I started as a kitchen hand, probably like sixteen, and then did a little bit of bar work. Worked at, uh, and but yeah, always ended up feeling like I was wanting to be in the kitchen. I think I started in the bar at, at Phoenix years ago. And then that was a time where there was some incredible chefs in the kitchen there. There was uh, like a Raymond Capaldi in there. He had this sort of uh, way about him that <clears throat> was well and truly recognized in the industry. But as well, like you just start to do a little, pick up a few little jobs from the kitchen or picking herbs in the bar. And then it, yeah, I wanted to be in the action in there, mm. and that's yeah, that was a long time ago. Mm. Uh, and I mean, obviously, you—I mean, you work pretty well together. Your friends, you know, you work pretty well together in the kitchen. That's great, and you must bounce ideas off each other, but and off your team, I guess, um, and be inspired from seasons. But like I said, how it works. Like, how do you? How do you go with about coming up with these menus that you're doing, different seasonal things, and adapting? How do you come up with dishes when you're having to adapt on the fly like that? I think the fact that we've worked together from the same places to begin with, like when we both started at Donovan's, and then our interests are the same, and we've worked together for so long that we know each other quite well. And our creative process, no one else really understands. It's kind of like a sibling bond where you know what as soon as Danny says something, like, in the creations of these drinks, <laughs> yeah. like, I was just saying random stuff to him, like, from what, your point of view, I was just, like, rambling stuff at him. Yeah. But in that point, like, he's processing those ideas and understanding where I'm coming from and then choosing what points ideas to say yes to and what points to unincorporate. Yeah. And then from there, like, people have stared at us many times and been like, what, what just happened there? We just created a dish. Mm. We just both wanted to be good. Mm. At the end of it, we just both wanted yeah. to be really good. Tasty. We can criticise each other however much we, how much we think, how it tastes, if it's madness, if, it's, um, if it doesn't work as well. Too like far, the weirdness how can work, how yeah. weird the, the weirdness shouldn't work, but it does. Um, but as long as it's good. But, and, but then being able to talk about like the, the next levels of the, the palatable 
uh, ingredients, I think, is the is the fun bit. Like how you can add a little bit of a obscure ingredient that changes the salinity a little bit, or can increase the bitterness, or you know, serving that just now in this to we, when we tried it before in a glass, we'd have like, oh yeah, could, I think increase the bitterness when we tried it in a glass half an hour ago before you got here. But the increase the bitterness came with uh, serving it with the pith. That's mm. exactly right. Yeah. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a lot more punchy than it was when we tried it in a glass before. It's more complex. It's, it's yes, yeah. Mm. That's fun. I think that's mm. amazing. So we don't get to do that probably enough right now. Yeah. Because <clears throat> that's another story. Like another story is like working out how to manage such a big operation and still uh, do fun little things mm. Uh, mm. like taking <laughs> half an hour to <laughs> to create a cocktail in a in a tangelo that's just come into season like yeah. this mm-hmm. this is the fun bit <laughs> yeah no absolutely and and i guess i mean you've got to have moments like that don't you to um to keep sparking but do you i mean do you think about food 24 <laughs> 7. I think it's a big part of our life. Yeah. Like, we're both quite open-minded and we'll always try what the other gives us or has a suggestion. Like, we'll never really say no unless one of us is quite hungover or don't feel, doesn't feel that well. Like, we'll always, we'll always try. Yeah. And that comes across everything, like new alcohols, new ingredients. Um, and we both, will, as soon as we taste, uh, instinctively, we'll have ideas that spring into our minds quickly and we know that those ideas cause how well we know each other can synergize but and then also like little moments like this that we create will if we do have certain customers that come in like that's why we get a good uh, uh, return of uh, business in both places is because of little things like this if we go and do it to a, a table or um, you know, making a scorpino at the table with uh, with fresh gelati and prosecco and vodka, and like just making it at the table mm. without anyone saying, "Oh, I really would feel like a scorpino right now." Like a table of ten, and you're there whipping with a whisk. And uh, there was a table of ten that wanted dessert, and we wanted to do something special with them. We both went our separate ways to the kitchen, came back. Someone had prosecco, someone had ice cream. It was like scorpino. It's like scorpino. We went to the table and just did it without really much more effort than that. Ladles of mm. uh, scrapino in uh, little uh, piccolo, it's like. But that's that whole personality thing, isn't mm. it? And it's your personality, but it also, it's bringing a little bit of that local thing from like Rena's into here, for example, yes. or um, people love that kind of personal touch, I think, don't they? And having a bit of an insight into your personalities. <laughs> yeah. And theatre in restaurants is often um, not there. Like the, the, the way a room feels or the, you know, if you go to a, like, the, um, the Peking duck restaurant we visited in uh, in Macau, like having watching the ducks cook in a in a big wood fired oven, and then them coming over with a trolley and and carving a duck at the table. Like there's there's you know often a lot of theatre that is is not in a restaurant anymore. Like it's a sommelier getting you know creative with their with their chat about wine, or it's a you know, where does the theatre come from in a restaurant if it's not just on the plate? Yeah. Like how can you create a, a, a memorable experience that probably won't be uh, done even here again? Like that moment yeah, just yeah. happened then. Yeah. They're, they're fun, uh, fun memories for... Yeah, for, for yeah and it's not even primarily just for that table. That the other tables around were like, oh, what the hell's happening there? Who are these guys and why are they making a mess? <laughs> Yeah. And then it's a chance to offer as well. Mm. Like that's a, it's a sharing moment. I think that's a, 
the more you can share at a table uh, and, and the tables and, around and the you. dining room it's engaging like you know a lot of places in Melbourne uh, you know 15 years ago before people like maybe uh, you know Frank Camora and you know the other, those other famous Thai restaurants they uh, people wouldn't share up at the bar or people wouldn't there wouldn't be a conversation of uh, uh, oh guys you should get the beetle leaves uh, here try my one or there's uh, oh make sure you have the, the something from the raciones section that's uh, you know make sure you get the truffle uh, truffle brazola and egg yolk like that people weren't really sharing moments at the in a restaurant it was uh, your two knives and fork and your meal yeah which is the flip side of hospitality isn't it so hospitality is what you know what you guys do and create and, um, and look after people and feed them but then I reckon the flip side of the, the receivers could be, you know, that's that, that community feeling and that, yeah, that feeling of being part of something. And as you say, the theatre, that, that's, that's more of the experience, I think, than just when I mean, the food can be excellent, but then if you don't have some of those other memorable, how do you remember those things? You yeah. know? Like so. every dining experience just starts to bleed into another one. Yeah. And wow. That time that we went to Rena's. Yes. And someone's hair caught on fire. And yes. everyone got around in Prosecco's just cause to get rid of the smell. It was Where? fun. Did that actually happen? Mm, bits and pieces. I don't know. It blends into one another. <laughs> <laughs> it could be multiple days. Terribly placed candle. <laughs> mm. Maybe some hairspray. Wow. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm glad we didn't do any lighting of things here today. This <laughs> as well. <laughs> so, um, so what's just? Let's just talk about the the Sunday family lunches, just because um, I loved coming and eating that that food. So just um. Just go through the dishes again so that if people are listening and they are looking for that cosy Sunday experience um, you've got it here it's an unlikely place perhaps to come to a hotel mm-hmm. on a Sunday lunch but um, but the room for all its size is very cosy yes with those foods and things colours and tones are really warm the materials are very warm but we're just trying to create an experience after Covid we felt like what we missed the most was company of our family and friends mm. so we wanted to create a place that wasn't too rowdy for people to come with their families mm. and just enjoy each other's company mm. as much as they hate each other or not <laughs> and so the food all just comes out on the table and people share yeah so we're doing a more of a italian style and but and less choice like that's mm. the main thing yeah. i think that you know people who haven't been able to get together for a while the they last thing they want to do is sit down, look at the menu, decide what they like, who likes this. If all the dietaries are taken care of, of course, like there's not a dietary that we haven't heard of or can, can cater to. But yeah, what is it? It's usually like a couple of antipasti, a pasta, a beautiful big joint of meat. So it, doesn't, it won't always necessarily be a T-bone, but it's a, you know, a well-cooked uh, shared piece of uh, protein. And yeah, the chance to just really focus on your company, like that's you know, it, and the you know the guests are the ones who create the experience. As mm-hmm. if if you go out for dinner, you should always be able to create how you enjoy it. Like, and you know, if you want to, you don't want to have a bottomless carafe, you can order a beautiful bottle of just about whatever you want. Like, there's the the bottom bottomless carafes are fun, but if you want uh, something a little bit more serious to to enjoy, there's a there's a beautiful wine list. Mm. Yeah, we just started the new winter menu that's got the starts with the charcuterie, um, some nice in-house focaccia, some a couple of rossini sticks, some beautiful olives from Tolunka Creek, and then stracciatella with spring onion and ginger, uh, cured kingfish with um, 
uh, red cabbage, ponzu, and um, caviar. And then moving on to uh, pasta alba Cristiana, and then going on to the tea burn and some Brussels sprouts. Mm. And then finishing with tira. Delicious. Delicious. So good. Um, thank you. I think we might we would leave it there. I think that's a great chat. We've talked all about it. Yes. <laughs> We've meandered. It was a voyage. <laughs> it definitely was a journey. And um, the cocktail helped. Yes. <laughs> good night, nice <laughs> Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with a Chef with Adrian Lee and Danny Natoli at La Madonna. If you want to experience all the greatness for yourself, which of course you do, you should check out their Sunday lunches, as well as a great duck dinner, which is coming up on August the 10th. Have a look at La Madonna Melbourne, that's all one word, La Madonna Melbourne on Instagram, or the Next Hotel Melbourne website. As for me, I'm also on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef, And if you want to read the chat, you can head to www.conversationwithchef.com. Do you know how much I would love it if you told a friend about my chats? And you can follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts. Once again, thanks for listening and have a great day.